It's been over a decade now since I taught high school English. And many of the people and events that I thought I'd most remember about those days have all but vanished. And yet there are other things, things I didn't anticipate that I'd remember that do stay with me all these years later. And one of those things is a simple writing response, a journal entry that was turned into me by a young student named Martina. Now the assignment, as I recall it, was for the students to write about a time when they felt most appreciative of their families. Well, Martina wrote about her experience at her quinceanera, that is the big celebration within Latin culture when a girl turning 15 is celebrated for her entrance into womanhood. This is a very big deal in Latin culture. It's a party to end all parties. And so it was that Martina's parents rolled out the red carpet for this celebration. They reserved a banquet hall at a local hotel. They hired a band. They ordered a big cake. They decorated the space with lots of flowers. You get the picture, the whole nine. Well, as Martina described it in her response, when the time came for the party to begin, as she waited there at the entrance in her brand new dress, she wrote that the clock began to tick by and only a handful of people began showing up. And in the end, she wrote, while scores had been invited, only about a dozen came. It's a heartbreaking story. Now, this wasn't the point of Martina's response. The point, as best I recall it, was about how Martina appreciated her parents throwing her such a party, about how she knew that they'd stretched themselves beyond their means to make such a party happen, and about how she was embarrassed that so few people had come out to it because it made her feel like she'd wasted her parents' hard-earned money. As I recall it, that was the point she was making. But that's not what I took from her response that day. Instead, what I took from her response, and one of the reasons that this remains with me all these years later, was not just what Martina said in her response, but also what wasn't said in that writing response to me. And what wasn't said was this. The reason so few people came to that party was because Martina was not popular. She was a nobody, really. Quiet, shy, poor, nondescript, overly smart, underly personable. You get the picture. 
You see, it wasn't so much that other students disliked Martina. It was simply that other students didn't care one way or another about Martina. Which meant that they had no desire to go to a party for her on their Saturday afternoon. So that is why Martina was left standing there that day in that big decorated banquet hall with hardly anyone there to share it with. Again, it's a heartbreaking story. And we'll come back to it in just a moment. But for now, I want to quickly turn to our gospel lesson for today from Matthew chapter 22, which Martina's story leads us quite naturally to. For here, as our passage picks up, Jesus is telling a parable to the chief priests and the elders. And he says to them, The kingdom of God is like a king who gives a wedding banquet for his son. And he sends his servants to call those who've been invited. But those who've been invited do not come. And so he sends out more servants, instructing them to say to those invited, Look, I've prepared my banquet. Everything's ready. Come to the party. But then those invited make light of the invitation, Jesus says, and go on their way. All right, there's more to the parable, but a quick check-in just to make sure we're still together. At this point in the parable, here's what we have. A grand party has been prepared. An extensive guest list has been made. Invitations have been sent out. The banquet is now ready. Yet none of those invited have shown up. Does that story sound familiar? It ought to. Because it's eerily similar to the story that I just told you about Martina and her party. In fact, only a few very small details differ, really. And so I want you to bear that in mind and bear Martina in mind as we look at the rest of this parable. All right, back to the parable. And so the king said to his servants, the banquet is ready, the table is set, but those invited did not come. So go therefore into the streets and invite everyone else you find. And so the servants went out into the street, and they gathered all whom they could find, both good and bad, and then the wedding hall was filled with guests. The end. End of parable. Other than Jesus saying, so it is in the kingdom of God. In other words, this, Jesus says, helps us better understand what the coming kingdom of God is like. Which leads us to the question this sermon seeks to answer. And with it, the question that animates this entire sermon series on the kingdom of God. And that question is, how? How does this parable help us better understand the kingdom of God? 
How do the details in this colorful story give us any added insight into the kingdom of God? How? That's what we'll ask with all these parables. Well, to begin, we need to keep in mind the context in which Jesus is telling this particular parable. In other words, we do well as we begin to interpret it to remember that Jesus is not talking to his disciples here. Nor is he telling this parable on a moment of relaxation atop a mountain somewhere. He tells those kinds of parables too. Instead, here we do well to remember that Jesus is right now in the Jerusalem temple where a day earlier he has just tipped over the tables. And that he's now talking to the chief priests and the elders in this very moment, which is to say the well-heeled, the well-fed, self-confident religious elite. Otherwise known as the powerful and popular people. The cool kids at the lunch table. And what's more, we do well to remember that what he's being forced to do right now is defend the entire essence of his life in public ministry. That's what they're asking of him. He's having to defend his relationship with supposed sinners. His confrontations with supposed authorities. His challenges to the ways of living that have for far too long benefited a few while overburdening the rest. In other words, Jesus is right now, at the moment he is telling this parable, being forced to defend his very ideas about how life and reality are supposed to work. And what's more, he's doing it by telling this parable to the very people whom he believes habitually stand in its way. Do you follow that? Tough spot. So the salient point to be had is this. That through the image in this parable, Jesus is trying to creatively draw out how the elders and the chief priests, those to whom he is talking, how these are the ones who don't want to come to the party. And the party, he's telling them, isn't really a party. The party, he's telling them, is the reality of the kingdom of God. I want you to do a quick thought experiment with me. What if this parable were to be just slightly amended? What if the king in the parable had given his servants the instruction to say this to those invited? Tell them that all of Rome and all of Judea will be there. Governors, senators, priests, rabbis, tell them that the emperor himself plans to be there. Make sure you say to them, you don't want to miss this party. Because everyone who's anyone is going to be at this party. This party is going to be the party to end all parties. 
Had that been the substance of the invites, what do you think would have happened in this parable? Everyone invited would have attended, right? But that's not what happened. And that's the point of the parable is for us to not only consider how those invited didn't want to go, which is what we usually do, but is also for us to consider why those invited didn't want to go. Which leads me now to a word on 16th century British author and statesman Sir Thomas More. Or more specifically on... Moore's classic novel, Utopia. Now in this novel, Moore famously describes the ideal civilization. On the island of Utopia, there are no problems, no dissensions, no rivalries, no distinctions. Instead, on the island of Utopia, all live in a state of pure bliss. It's from this book, of course, that we get our word utopia, a word that we use to mean a state of idealized perfection. Here's why I bring the idea of utopia up right now. When most of us think about the kingdom of God, we think of a future eternal state of idealized perfection. In other words, we tend to think of the kingdom of God as our own personal, God-ordained utopia. Now sure, we don't usually think of it in those terms. We'd never be so crass as to put it that baldly. But if we're being honest... When many of us envision the kingdom of God and what our expectations of it are, we, whether consciously or unconsciously, tend to envision it as a sort of personal utopia. Am I right? Well, so here's why this is relevant. Because in our unexamined personal utopias, that is, in our idealized states of perfection, the idea of sitting at the same table with certain people, people who, for whatever reason, rub us wrongly or make us uncomfortable or who simply just don't interest us, in our own idealized utopias, Sitting at the same table with such people just doesn't really register. It's just not part of our vision. That's not what utopia is supposed to be like to our minds. And thus, to our minds, that's not what the kingdom of God will be like then either. And so here then is the point. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God by its very nature is the state of reconciliation between all broken, sinful people. That's definitionally what it is. 
which necessarily means that the kingdom of God is like a party full of people who are initially uncomfortable being around one another or else hostile toward one another or else apathetic toward one another. So that's the first thing that this parable is trying to get us to see, that the kingdom of God is a reality where we are in fellowship not only with those whom we find it easy to love, but also with those whom we find it difficult to love as well. But then the second thing this parable is trying to get us to see, and the harder thing to see, is that one can't want to come to the party without wanting to come to the party on its own terms. Do you follow? I know that was a clunky sentence. Let me say it again. One can't want to come to the party without wanting to come to the party on its own terms. In other words, the parable is trying to get us to see that a disciple can't claim a desire for the kingdom of God. Say, yeah, I want that. But then dislike the very essence of what Jesus says the kingdom of God is. Or to put that differently still. A disciple can't claim a desire for the kingdom of God. Can't say, yeah, I want that. But then turn around and try to recreate the kingdom of God in an image more to his or her own liking. And thus with this parable, Jesus hereby shatters the illusions of the elders and the chief priests. Those who have been charged with talking about the kingdom for centuries. For with this parable, Jesus subverts their faux holiness... By holding a mirror to their faces. You speak about the kingdom of God, he is saying to them. But then you take offense when my own life bears it out. You speak of the kingdom of God, he is saying to them. But then you don't like what the kingdom of God looks like in practice. You are like those invited to a grand party, he says to them, but who then decline the invitation because of what the party is going to be like and because of who else is going to be there. Well, it's a parable that still resonates today. And we need only consider Martina's tragic story in order to see why it continues to resonate. For the truth is, in the brokenness of our humanity, there are people we are just not that interested in being around. Perhaps we don't like them. Perhaps we think they don't like us. Perhaps we've never thought about them really one way or the other. But in the end, no matter our reason, these are people with whom we simply have no real interest in attending a party. And perhaps that's quite natural. 
But according to this parable, it's also quite a problem. For according to this parable, the kingdom of God is like unto a lavish party filled with people whom we might not initially be interested in partying with. And if this indeed be so, and the entire thrust of the Holy Scriptures insists that it is, if this indeed be so, we then have a choice to make. We can either decline the invitation to this party, telling ourselves that the host is throwing another party later, one that will be more to our liking, you know, more in line with our own preferred ideas of utopia. Or we can accept the invitation on its own terms. And we can join the grand party of reconciliation. Dear Boulevard family, let's choose that one. Let's choose the kingdom of God as it is and not the kingdom of God as we'd prefer it to be. And let's assume that God knows a little something about a grand party that we in our pride and our arrogance and our brokenness don't. Yes, there's a lot we can take today from this ancient parable. And not least of all this, that we do mighty well to begin thinking about all of those whom we'd rather not spend our time with. All of those who either make us uncomfortable or angry or those we simply have no interest in. And then we do mighty well to begin actively praying for the desire to draw closer to such people. Perhaps it's people of a different political preference or a different nationality. Perhaps it's people of a different race or a different lifestyle. Perhaps it's people who are poor. Perhaps it's people who are rich. Perhaps it's people we find unattractive for some reason. Perhaps it's people we find too attractive. The list could, of course, go on for days. And in the end, only we ourselves know who the people are that we'd be most uninterested in attending a party with. So let us today begin thinking about who those people are for us. And let us then begin actively praying for a desire to draw closer to them. And let us do this in the knowledge and in the certain trust that the kingdom of God is like a big party that God has invited us to. But that it's like a big party that God has also invited them to as well. Whoever they happen to be for us. Which is just another way of saying, let us, dear Boulevard family, go about our daily lives in the knowledge and in the certain faith that God has prepared for us an eternal banquet. And let us all the while remember that this grand banquet is set to be a grand feast of human reconciliation. Amen.